Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 32. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. A couple things before we start the interview. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and submit a review and actually subscribe to the podcast. It would really help out a lot with the ranking on iTunes, and it helps with the visibility. Um, the new and noteworthy time is up, and so now the challenge comes to building the audiences as large as we can, and it helps with if you actually subscribe. That way the podcast will get delivered automatically to your smart device, your iPhone, your iPad, or your computer at home. So again, thanks for all the support, getting some wonderful emails. I love chatting with all of you and, and hearing your stories, your leadership challenges and your stories. And again, you can go to my website and leave a comment and uh, it'll come directly to my email. I answer every email. And so again, I appreciate all the support. This podcast is brought to you by audible.com. You've heard me talk about it. It's tough for me to catch up my reading. So audible.com is a great solution. Hundreds of thousands of titles you can choose from. You can download it to your smartphone, your iPad, your iPod. Whatever you need, you can take it on the go and you can catch up on all your reading. Got a special offer for all the listeners out there. Go to doseofleadership.com slash audible and you can download your free audiobook. Sign up for a free 30-day trial. No obligation to you and you can check out any all the resources. I think you'll be impressed with the selection that they have. Again, doseofleadership.com slash audible. Well, this next interview is really interesting. It's a short one. But man, it is uh, pure gold, and it's Penelope Trunk, and if you haven't checked out her blog, I highly encourage you to. She is a leading edge authority. She tells it like it is. She's, um, I don't know, I just, you'll, you'll see it. When you listen to the interview, you'll really enjoy it. I'm a big fan of Penelope Trunk, and uh, I hope you will be too. So listen to the interview and enjoy. Thanks. Well, I'm pleased to have on my show today, Penelope Trunk. She's the co-founder of Brazen Careerist a career management tool for next-generation professionals. It's her third startup. She started two others. She started Math.com and uh, eCity Deals. And um, she's also a prominent blogger and author. She has a book out there called The New American Dream, A Blueprint for a New Path of Success. And then she also has a number one career blog, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, Penelope, I just gave a little heads up here. How are you this morning? And give us a little uh, heads up about who you are and, and what you do. Oh, that was a pretty good introduction. I've done three companies and I'm blogging. I homeschool my kids. Well, one thing that I, one thing that I, I put on my list, I, I listed you in, in in my blog, one of the top twenty leadership influencers and thinkers. And what I love about you is the fact that you get to the truth, and I love your writing and, and how you get to the truth and to the core of of uh, genuine authenticity. Tell us a little bit about how you started writing, especially about a generation wired generate you know your latest blog, which I really love, where you really get into the heart of the difference of between the the generations. I'm like you, a generation Xer, but uh, talk about why you focus on generation Y. Well, I tried a lot of different ways to make money writing when I first started. I've been writing since I was like really little. Before I could write, really, I used to dictate stories to my dad. And then um, 
when I was a kid, I'd just write every day. And then when I graduated college, I never really expected to be able to make a living writing because I knew people didn't really do that. But I still tried, and I tried writing stories. I tried writing a novel, and I was never really able to support myself. And then I realized that people write magazine articles, and they make $2 a word. I don't think they still do, but they did not. So I tried doing magazine articles, and I did... um, women's magazines. First, I tried writing about sex because in my stories, everyone would say, oh, the best thing you do is write about sex. So I thought, oh, I'll be a sex writer for Cosmo or something. (laughs) And that's actually really competitive. And so I didn't have the stamina. Really, to be a sex writer for Cosmo, you have to marry an investment banker and not really need to make a living at it. (laughs) So the whole thing was all really hard. And then, so I started doing... um, high-tech startups that what right when the internet was kind of becoming the internet it was really rare for women to be running a startup so time magazine which was time aol asked me to write a column about what it's like to be a woman doing a startup and the column became really popular i didn't actually know it because they never gave me a raise but it got really popular and they didn't tell me and um and then I kept writing the column, and then I was at the bottom of the World Trade Center when it fell. Wow. And I couldn't uh, leave my apartment. I was completely traumatized, and I couldn't do my startup. Well, my startup really went to hell because it was on Wall Street, and just everything went to hell, and uh, we started starving pretty much because I'm a breadwinner. So I put together a last-ditch effort to the book deal. I thought, well, if I got a book, at least we'd eat. And... It was kind of a miracle. I, my first book proposal, a huge agent picked it up, and I got a very big book deal. And they said, you're a writer for Generation Y. And I didn't really realize that, that I was just writing about my career, but my career was really, really unconventional, and it resonated with Generation Y. So I thought, okay, now I'm supporting myself writing about Generation Y. You know, I'm pretty flexible. I don't, I don't need to write about sex if I'm getting paid to write about Generation Y, so that's kind of what happened. And I, I would recommend everybody approach their life that way, that the, the market tells you what you're most valuable for. Mm. I mean, we all wish we were valuable for sex, right? It would be great, <laughs> but most of us aren't. So um, if you listen to the market, you can figure out what makes you special and valuable. That's interesting. You know, a lot of times, um, and you, you highlight the differences between you know, in Generation Y is kind of told like, hey, go live out your dreams, be the best that you can be, you know, find out your passion. But what you're saying right there is like, you know, like you, you said, you didn't, your passion wasn't necessarily writing about Generation Y, but you, as listening to the market, you found out that that's what you're really good at and what you really resonate with. Yeah, well, we lie to ourselves about our passion. I mean, what our passion is, is being highly valued by other people and feeling special. Yeah. And then we have a fantasy world about what that might be. It's not usually true. And then our parents, especially Generation Y's parents, really feed the fuels of fantasy world by being like, do what you love. You can be anything. You're so smart and bright. You have a great future, blah, blah, blah. Really, um, what we all want is to just, we're all special for some reason, and we just want to find that so we can feel valuable. Yeah. That's, again, that's what I love about your writing and what you say. You, you, you touch a chord of authenticity. A lot of times what people don't 
like to talk about. I love your piece, and you're talking about, um, and um, her name escapes me, and apologize this morning, but the 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 Yahoo um, CEO decided, you know, not to do, yeah, not to do the te- yeah. telecommuting, and um, you know, and telecommuting was so popular, and um, now we've got this this um, you know high level powerful woman leadership woman in leadership role, and she's saying no, you got to be here, and I love your article. Um, where you talk about, hey, look, let's talk about the truth. I mean, you can be a successful, powerful woman in leadership, um, but if you're doing that, you're going to have to sacrifice um, your time and your family and everything else. This whole idea of you can have it all is kind of a myth. Can you talk to me about um, that article? I yeah. Mean, well, it's not just for women. I yeah, mean, it's for everybody. Too. You're right. Like you're right. Anyone, everyone who wants a big job has to be a shitty parent. It's just how it is. There's not... We didn't set up the world to that everyone gets to be both. So it seems fair that you have to commit to something to be great at it. And I think people, um, it's very risky to commit to something because you're kind of betting it all. You're betting the farm, right? So right. people don't like to do that. They like to think that um, without taking the risk, they can still have the chance to be great at something. But... Nobody is great at anything without giving up tons and tons of other options. Yeah, and I think if you once you realize that you're honest with that, then you can start making genuine choices. I think you, so so often, and it causes so many problems when you try to you know perpetuate a myth and live in it. Then you, you're constantly beating yourself up because you're not living up to those expectations. Well, I'm I'm being a crappy parent, or I'm not. Right. Well. Yeah, I mean, nobody, who cares, really, if you're living up to other people's expectations, like, they should go run their own life, really. Right. Yeah, I was gonna, let's talk about the, um, let's talk about your book, The New American Dream, and you self-published the book, and uh, tell me a little bit about what, what is The New American Dream? What, what do, how do you define it? Uh, the New American Dream is an interesting life instead of a happy life that uh, we know enough about happiness to know that. Um, it's very um, comfortable, and not everybody wants a comfortable life because comfortable is boring and predictable. And um, really, I think one of the most shocking pieces of research I've read in the last five years is that New Yorkers are the most unhappy people in the world as a city. New Yorkers rate the most unhappy, but they don't care because they don't value happiness as much as interestingness, and they lead really interesting lives, and it mm. led me to think about, well, what do you do to get a happy life, and what do you do to get an interesting life, and they're actually two completely divergent paths, and um, a lot of people think they have both, but honestly, it's um, interesting people never think they have happiness. Um, happy people always think that they're interesting, but they're delusional. So um, it's mostly about that and about how uh, the new, it's, it's kind of a new wave of aspiration. So instead of want the picket fence and the two kids and the house, to want an interesting life. So do you believe that, that we are... are- kind of born happy or they're like we kind of when we when we come out of the womb are we a half empty half full type person well 70 percent of how happy you are is determined at birth and this is there's 
couple really good books about this. One is Stumbling on Happiness by Dan Gilbert, who's a psychologist at Harvard. And one is The How of Happiness by Sonia Limbormirsky, and she's a psychologist at University of California, I think Irvine or San Diego, something like that. And um, they have very good data. It's, it's pretty well established that 70% of your happiness is determined at birth. Really? Just how you look at things. And so we're only dealing with the last 30% here. Mm. And, and it takes so much work to change your outlook that you're much better off, I think, understanding your outlook and understanding who you are and what drives you and just meeting those needs instead of trying to be something you're not. Yeah, that's a good point. I, lo- I love the fact of trying try not to be something that you're not, you know, be, you know one of the first you know, steps of self-mastery is you got to be who, be who you are. And so if I'm, if I'm born a natural pessimist and I'm full of anxiety and maybe kind of general unhappiness is what you're saying is there's not much I can do, but why I will, you know, I guess the, the out is, or the, or the, the way to look at it is find out what makes life interesting and what makes my life interesting. And, and even though I'm naturally born pessimistic or kind of negative, I will be more fulfilled. Is that, is that how I should look at it? Um, well, being born pessimistic to some extent is um, being born more realistic. Yeah. Pessimists are more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, the anxiety piece is is something that you have to deal with. You need to take anti-anxiety medicine for anxiety. That's not, um, I mean, that's to help you in life. So the anxiety is pretty much a roadblock to you getting what you need in life. So if you're at Last half empty person, let's just say. There's 16 personality types. You can find your personality types by Googling Myers-Briggs, Myers-Briggs and taking yeah. a, a free mm-hmm. test online. So you're one of 16 personality types, and that gets mixed in with the um, your, your natural tendencies that you're born with for how happy you're going to be. In general, they coincide a bit. So um, perfectionists are generally less happy people than um, people who are not perfectionists, for example. And I, but, but the key is that you look at what drives you. So some people are driven by relationships. Some people are driven by power. Some people are driven by owning a craft. And you do what, on a daily basis, you do what is fulfilling to you based on what drives you. And it doesn't really matter if you approach it with pessimism or optimism, you're just doing what is fulfilling to you. Yeah. And, and you don't need to be derailed by the pessimism. You know, if you're a potter and you think every pot you make sucks because you're a perfectionist, well, you're still being a potter because that's what you want to do. Yeah, great point. So it's all about engagement and doing something fulfilling. And st- yeah, and st- let's talk about leadership. You know, I'm because this is like the this is what I keep thinking about when I think, okay, well, who are we talking to here? Who's your audience? Yeah, the whole idea of leadership is just um, so stupid. It's so stupid to um, think that if that you would want to be a leader, but you're not being a leader. That actually doesn't happen in life. I'm going to tell you why. People who are meant to lead will lead anything that's in front of them. They will go to a kickball game and they will somehow 
become the leader of that kickball game. They will go to a cocktail party and they will somehow start organizing the cocktail party because it's their nature. And if you put a bunch of people in a room, everyone will do what is in their nature, what they're most comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Very few people are most comfortable leading. Right. We're told as kids that we should lead, and um, we can all see that leaders make the most money. But the reason that leaders make the most money is because um, leaders are generally motivated by power, and we people who are motivated by power get money. But most people are not motivated by power. Most people are motivated by wanting to feel valuable in the world, because they can't see multiple ways to to be valuable, they they have a myopic view that if they only see the people in the leadership position, and they look valuable, and they want you know they want to be valued. So, um, I think the most valuable way to talk about leadership for people who do not feel like they're currently leading is to lead yourself, to lead with um, by knowing who you are, and just do what right for you instead of um, doing leadership. The people who are most um, the people who are most needing to lead, the people who are born to lead are um, generally ENTJs. That's their like personality type. Yeah. And um, there's 2% of the whole world is that personality type. So what's interesting to me is Two percent of the world are ENTJs, but a hundred percent of Fortune 500 CEOs are ENTJs. So that should tell you how absolutely specialized leading is, and it's not what you think it is. So there are ways to, for example, lead, lead from the middle by being a great team player right. and finding the right person to follow. There are ways from, um, like, to be a silent leader by just doing the life you want and being fulfilled and being a role model for other people. There are, like, a million ways to lead, and if you do the thing that's right for you, you will lead in the way that's right for you. And people's idea of leadership is just messed up, and the idea that you have to learn to lead is messed up. You have to learn to be who you are. That is pure gold, my friend. What you just said, everything you said in there is at the heart of why this podcast was was created. I love that. I love how you said, and you're so right, it is messed up. It's less about the larger-than-life, charismatic leader. That is not the be-all, end-all of leadership. And so much leadership happens, as you said, from the middle and below at areas that don't even get recognized or get noticed. And you're right. Not everybody can be the larger-than-life you know, the ENTJ type Myers-Briggs personality. You can't. And you're fool- yeah. you're fooling yourself thinking, okay, I, I'm going to be like that person. Well, if your natural tendency is to be an introvert, you know, you're going to just be banging your head against the wall. And like you said, self to me, self-mastery, the key to it is you got to be who you are and you got to play where your strengths are. And you can be a great leader and doesn't mean you have to be in the C-level office, you know. So what you just said was just absolutely brilliant i love it and so thank you for for saying it so eloquently as you did and so truthfully as you did i mean that that's part what it, what it's all about oh good well i'm glad okay so um i'm in a car trip and there's a detour and i'm gonna get lost 
so I really need to get off the phone. Is that okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Penelope, that's awesome. And just like you said, part of what I love about you and your blog is your genuine authenticity. You say it like it is. You're on a car trip. you got to go. I appreciate that, and I thank you for taking the time and giving us that golden nugget that you just did about two minutes ago. Oh, good. I'm glad. So good luck with your podcast, and thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show, Penelope, and, uh, and I'll, 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 I'll keep in touch. I'll let you know when I get this posted. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.